Hello and welcome to this Halloween edition of The Bigger Picture. This is a podcast where we tell stories that matter. I'm your host this week, Caleb Franz. Perhaps no man has had a greater influence on American culture, specifically in the fields of literary and horror, than has the work of Edgar Allan Poe. His work has set the standard for which even modern writers of the dark and grim should be judged by. Even more than that, he laid a profound footprint on American culture and literature. He pushed the envelope to produce some of the most thoughtful and chilling works in literature and poetry in the 19th century and beyond. While many may be familiar with his work, as his short stories and poems are read in high school and college English classes all throughout the country, it is his reality that can be considered just as interesting and mysterious as his work. In this Halloween edition of The Bigger Picture, we are going to examine the strange yet fitting life and death of Edgar Allan Poe. And then you can sit back and enjoy a narration of one of his most famous works. Today, many who are as gifted as Poe was may enjoy some lavish book deal or be picked up by some network to help write or produce a show or movie. But in Poe's day, he struggled often to find someone who would pay for his work. In fact, his life of struggle begins far before he strived to become a writer. It wasn't long after Egner was born that his life faced his first strike of tragedy. He was born on January 19, 1809, and had three siblings. But when he was only two years old, his mother, Elizabeth Poe, died in 1811. The death of Elizabeth separated Egner's family as she had already left her husband and took the kids with her before her death. His brother, Henry, went to live with their grandparents. Edgar and his sister went to become adopted by two separate families. The family that took him was that of Mr. and Mrs. John Allen. John Allen was a rich merchant who sought to raise Edgar in the most successful environment. Though John certainly had noble intentions, we all know that intentions don't always equate to results. He sent Poe to a school in England when he was six, where he would proceed to learn French, Latin, history, and mathematics. He would eventually return to the United States and attend college, to advance his education at the University of Virginia. Yet despite excelling in school, especially French and Latin, Poe wasn't in the best state in his life. He became a heavy drinker and in debt. John Allen refused to support him in this state and started cutting him off. Due to these reasons, he was forced to drop out of college after not even a year. Because of his lack of education, money, or uh, job skill, 
he joined the army for a brief period of time to support his struggling life. He didn't seem to like it too well, though, and envisioned writing. That is when his career as a writer began. After the army, Poe went to New York in 1831 to start the life he would eventually become best known for. Yet he wouldn't strike any luck until much later. Many of his works were rejected. He had some poetry published in some newspapers, but it wasn't nearly enough to survive on. All of his short stories at the time were rejected, and he was at a very low point in his life. His alcoholism, mind you, did not help much either. It took a while, but one day he did manage to obtain a job as editor at a newspaper called the Southern Literary Messenger, but found it dissatisfying based on the salary and eventually left. In the years to come, not much changed in his financial state, nor his mental state, for that matter. He would find himself traveling to and from New York and Philadelphia often. He never would enjoy the kind of success that many writers today enjoy. Though his works were popular, that popularity did not equate to financial success. This would be the case all the way up until his death, which is about as bizarre as any of the stories he wrote. On September 27, 1849, Edgar Allan Poe left Richmond, Virginia on a boat. The following day, he arrived in Baltimore. It would seem that Poe had not any idea these would in fact become his last days on earth, but the facts that I just laid out are the last certain things that we know about his activities for several days. Between September 28th and October 3rd, Poe's whereabouts and activities are a mystery to this day. The next time he was seen, he was bewildered and sickly on October 3rd. It is a popular notion that he was found lying in a gutter, but this is merely speculation. When he was taken to the hospital, people tried to figure out the missing information of the past few days of his life, but he was ultimately incoherent and nobody was able to form a conclusive story without Poe being in a stable state of mind. Unfortunately, he would never return to health and mental stability. After a few more days of delusions and swinging in and out of consciousness, Edgar Allan Poe died on October 7th, 1849, in a hospital bed. The mystery surrounding his death is perhaps fitting for this master of horror and grim. It has certainly since sparked much debate and speculation, many of which are just as wild as his short stories. The mystery surrounding his death even became the basis for a movie released in 2012 named after perhaps his most famous work, The Raven. We may never know what happened in those mystery days between September 28th and October 3rd, but many point to his battle with alcoholism and speculation about disease and mental illness are among the leading theories applied to Poe's final days. No matter how he died, his legacy as a master of horror has been solidified and is one of the most widely read authors in modern history. So, in honor of the spirit of Halloween and the great legacy of the literary originality that Edgar Allan Poe gifted to the world, please enjoy this narration of one of his most popular stories. A story of murder, vengeance, and insanity. This is a tell-tale heart.
true nervous very very dreadfully nervous I had been and am but why would you say that I am mad the disease had sharpened my senses not destroyed not dulled them above all was the sense of hearing acute I had heard all things in heaven and in hell oh I I had heard many things in hell how then am I mad Hearken, and observe how healthily, how calmly, I can tell you the whole story. It is impossible to say how the idea entered my brain first, but once conceived, it haunted me, day and night. Object? There was none. Passion? There was none. I loved the old man. He had never wronged me. He had never given me insult. For his gold I had no desire. I think it was his eye. Yes. Yes, this was it. He had the eye of a vulture, a pale blue eye with film over it. Whenever it fell upon me, my blood ran cold. And by so degrees, very gradually, I made up my mind to take the life of the old man and thus rid myself of the eye forever. Now, this is the point. You fancy me mad. Madmen know nothing. But you should have seen me. Oh, you should have seen how wisely I proceeded, with caution, with what foresight I went to work. I was never kinder to the old man than during the week before I killed him. And every night, about midnight I turned the latch on the door and opened it oh so gently and then when I had made an opening sufficient for my head I put in the dark lantern all closed closed so that no light shone out and then I thrust in my head oh you would have laughed to see how cunning I thrust it in I moved it slowly very 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 slowly so that I might not disturb the old man's slumber. It took me an hour to place my whole head within the opening, so far that I could see him as he lie upon his bed. Ha! <laughs> Would a madman have been so wise as this? And then, when my head was well in the room, I undid the lantern cautiously, oh, so cautiously, cautiously. I undid it just so much that a single thin ray fell upon the vulture eye. And this I did for several long nights, even every night, just at midnight. But I found that the eye was always closed. And so it was impossible to do the work, for it was not the old man who vexed me, but his evil eye. Every morning, when the day broke, I went boldly into the chamber and spoke courageously to him, calling him by name in a hearty tone and inquiring him how he had passed the night. So you see, he would have been a very profound old man indeed to suspect that every night just at twelve o'clock I looked upon him while he slept. Upon the eighth night, I was more than usually cautious in opening the door. A watch's minute hand moves more quickly than I did mine. 
Never before that night had I felt the extent of my own powers. I could scarcely contain my feelings of triumph. <laughs> to think that there I was, opening the door little by little, and not even to dream of my secret deeds or thoughts. I fairly chuckled at the idea. Perhaps he heard me, for he moved on his bed suddenly, as if startled. Now, you may think that I drew back, but no. His room was as black as pitch with a thick darkness, for the shutters were closed fastened through fear of robbers. And so I knew that he could not see the opening of the door, and I kept pushing it on steadily, just, just steadily. I had in my head, and was about to open the lantern, when my thumb slipped on the tin fasten. The old man sprang up in his bed, crying out, Who's there? I kept quiet, still, and said nothing. For a whole hour, I did not move a muscle. And in the meantime, I did not hear him lie down, either. He was still sitting in the bed, listening, just as I have done every night after midnight, hearkening to the death watches in the wall. Presently I heard a slight groan, and I knew it was the groan of mortal terror. It was not a groan of pain or grief, oh no! It was the low, stifle sound that arises from the bottom of the soul when overcharged with awe. I knew that sound well. Many a night, just at midnight, when the world slept, it welled up in my own bosom, deepening with its dreadful echo, the terrors that detached me. I say I knew it well. I knew that the old man felt and pitied him, although I chuckled at heart. I knew that he had been lying awake ever since the first slight noise. When he had turned in bed, his fears had been ever since growing upon him. He had been trying to fancy them causeless, but could not. He had been saying to himself, It is nothing but the wind in the chimney. It is only a mouse crossing the floor, or it is merely a cricket, which made a single chirp. Yes, he had been trying to comfort himself with these suppositions, but he found all in vain, all in vain, because death in approaching him had stalked with his black shadow before him and enveloped the victim. And it was the mournful influence of the unperceived shadow that caused him to feel, although he neither saw nor heard, to feel the presence of my head within the room. When I had waited, a long time, very patiently, without hearing him lie down, I resolved to open a little, a, a, a very, very little crevice in the lantern. So I opened it. You cannot imagine how stealthily, stealthily, until a length, a single dim ray, like the thread of the spider, shot out from the crevice and fell full upon the vulture eye. It was open wide, wide open, and I grew furious as I gazed upon it. I saw it with perfect distinctness, a dull blue with a 
hideous veil over it that chilled the very marrow in my bones. I could see nothing else but the old man's face or person, for I had directed the ray as if by instinct precisely upon the damn spot. And have I not told you that what you mistake as madness is but an over-acuteness of the sense? Now I say there came to my ear a low, dull, quick sound, such as a watch makes when enveloped in cotton. I knew that sound well, too. It was the beating of the old man's heart. It increased my fury, as the beating of a drum stimulates the soldier into courage. But even yet, I refrained and kept still. I scarcely breathed. I held the lantern motionless. I tried how steadily I could maintain the ray upon the eye. Meantime, the hellish tattoo of the heart increased. It grew quicker and quicker and louder and louder every instant. The old man's terror must have been extreme. It grew louder, I say, louder every moment. Do you mark me well? I've told you that I'm nervous. So I am. And now, the dead hour of night, amid the dreadful silence of the old house, so strange a noise as this excited me to uncontrollable terror. Yet for some minutes longer I refrained and stood still, but the beating grew louder, louder. I thought the heart must burst, and now a new anxiety seized me. The sound would be heard by a neighbor. The old man's hour had came. With a loud yell, I threw open the lantern and leaped into the room. He shrieked once, only once. In an instant, I dragged him to the floor and pulled a heavy, heavy bed over him. I then smiled gaily to find the deed so far had been done. But for many minutes, the heart beat on with a muffled sound. This, however, did not vex me. It would not be heard through the wall. At length, it ceased. The old man was dead. I removed the bed and examined the corpse. Yes, he was stone, stone dead. I placed my hand upon the heart and held it there many minutes. There was no pulsation. He was stone dead, with his eye troubling me no more. Now, if you still think me mad, you will no longer think so when I describe the wise precision and precautions I took for the concealment of the body. The night warned, and I worked hastily, but in silence. First of all, I dismembered the corpse. I cut off the head and the arms and the legs. I then took up three planks from the flooring of the chamber and deposited them all between the scaffoldings. I then replaced the boardings so cleverly, so cunningly, that no human eye, not even his, could have detected anything wrong. There was nothing to wash out, no stain of any kind, no blood spot whatever. I had been too wary for that. A tub had caught all. <laughs> when I had made an end of these labors, it was four o'clock, still dark as midnight, as the bell sounded the hour. There came a knocking at the street door. I went down to open it with a light heart. For what now have I to fear? There entered three men who introduced themselves as officers of the police. A shriek had been heard by a neighbor during the night. Suspicion of foul play had been aroused. 
Information had been lodged at the police office, and the officers had been deputied to search the premises. I smiled. For what have I to fear? I bade the gentlemen welcome. The shriek, I said, was my own in a dream. The old man I had mentioned was absent in the country. I took the visitors all over the house. I bade them search, search well. I led them at length to the chamber. I showed them his treasures, secure, undisturbed. In the enthusiasm of my own confidence, I brought them chairs into the room and desired them here to rest from their fatigues, while I myself, in the wild audacity of my perfect triumph, placed my own seat upon the very spot beneath which the corpse of the victim laid. The officers were satisfied. My manner had convinced them. I was singularly at ease. They sat, and while I answered cheerily, they chatted of familiar things. But, ere long, I felt myself getting pale. I wished them gone. My head ached. I fancied a ringing in my ears. But still, they sat there and still chatted. Their ringing became more distinct. It continued and became more distinct. I talked more freely to get rid of that feeling, but continued and gained until at length I found that the noise was not within my ears. No, I, I, I grew very pale. No doubt I grew very pale, but I talked more fluently and with a hiding voice. Yes, the sound increased, and what could I do? It was a low, dull sound, very quick, much like the sound as a, a watch makes when enveloped in, in, in cotton. I gasped, and yet the officers heard it not. I talked more quickly, more vehemently, but the noise steadily increased. I arose, but the noise steadily increased. Why would they not be gone? I paced the floor to and fro with heavy strides, as if excited to fury by the observations of the men. But the noise steadily increased. Oh God, what could I do? I foamed, I raved, I swore. I swung the chair upon continually increase. It grew louder and louder. And still the men chatted pleasantly and smiled. Was it possible they, they heard not? Almighty God, no, no, they heard, they suspected, they knew. They were making a mockery of my horror, this I thought, and this I think. But anything was better than this agony. Anything was more tolerable. I could bear those hypocritical smiles no longer. I felt I must scream or die. And now again, hark, louder, 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 ugh, villains! I shriek, dissemble no more, I admit the deed, tear up the planks, here, here, is the beating of his hinderous heart. <laughs> that always was one of my favorite uh, Poe stories. Thank you for listening and thank you for being a part of our audience. If you enjoyed this episode of The Bigger Picture, please go listen and subscribe to all of our other podcasts here on the Outset Network at OutsetMagazine.com. And be sure to tune in next week for yet another story. Happy Halloween, and be safe, be good, take care.